just because it was such an amazing experience to see 500 people come together, share ideas and just, you know, at the end of the day, I had a queue of about 50 people went to hug me and tell me how amazing their day had been. And it's just, it's unlike anything else, you know, I've ever done. And just, to, it made all that hard work worth it. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hello, my name is Jerry Saver and you're listening to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast for and about vegan businesses, vegan business ideas, green ventures and everything else that moves the world towards a plant-based future. And before we start the show today, I want to first wish you a very happy new year. And if you're a regular listener, I also need to apologize for the break that we had in December. You see, we just had a really big move, not just moving house. We actually moved countries from New Zealand to Mexico. And some of my work equipment, well, namely the computer on which I record and edit all of these podcasts, I had to take it apart for the move. And then it took almost three weeks longer than expected for the parts that I ordered here to show up. And then we were already heading into Christmas, so it really made more sense to pick things up in January rather than try to cram in another episode before the holidays. So I'm really sorry if you had to wait so long, but I'm really happy to say that we are now back on track and I'm really excited today because we'll be going into yet another part of the industry for the first time and that's events built around this lifestyle. I'm talking to Damien Clarkson from the UK, who's uh, the organizer of Vegan Futures and Vivolution. And besides that, he also runs a creative studio called The Growing Box that works with ethical, socially responsive businesses and organizations. So I'm expecting we'll have plenty to talk about. Damien, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great to, great to be on something that's pushing... Um, veganism and entrepreneurship see things i'm passionate about so. yeah i'm also really happy to have you here because you know i, I like showing how diverse the plant-based industry is and like i said one part of it that i haven't touched yet are festivals and events so you're the first guest to be covering that topic but you have other things that you do as well which i'm equally interested in so <laughs> let's just dive in and start this at the beginning shall we Always a good place to start. Okay, so so how did everything begin for you? When and why did you go vegan? Or actually, before we get to that question, what did you do before you went vegan? What was your journey? Well, I was a vegetarian for a number of years before I um, became vegan. But uh, it was just kind of your standard standard guy. You know, I was obsessed with sport as a as a kid. I was um, really into my playing football and playing cricket and. No, veganism was just wasn't even on my radar. You know, I grew up in kind of a very traditional kind of English family. You know, meat and two veg was kind of the staple of of like the diet. You know, and that was the veganism just was something I didn't even heard of. You know, I don't think I even knew a vegetarian growing up. So, it, you know, it's when I got to my sort of late late teens, early twenties. You know, I started to encounter people who were vegetarian because you know you broaden your horizon, you move away from home, and you sort of step into the, the the adult world you know and um i suppose around that time i sort of first came across the idea of vegetarianism first and then veganism i can just remember like being wow i just could never ever do that i could never be vegan I, it seemed so extreme it seemed like such a massive step 
and you know I always had a lot of um a lot of concern for the environment around me and for animals and I was quite a sensitive person growing up so I felt I felt like oh this is something good but just something I couldn't ever do and I think what kind of tipped it for me was that I went traveling in 2008 I was 23 years old and um I I saw a lot of climate the effects of climate change in terms of coal bleaching and um the destruction of the coral reefs in Australia and then also in Thailand and I felt really shook up by this I was, and also just the way that um I suppose consumerism has crept up in Asia and people hadn't had sort of um I don't didn't have the access to ways to recycle ways to like basically look after their environment and it was just being trashed I felt really concerned about sort of globalization and climate change and I came back to the UK and I just um became obsessed watching like documentaries I think around that time the blue planet um the first series had just gone out and I was watching that and I just became very concerned about the environment and this is all sort of in the context of 2009 the big Copenhagen climate summit and that was taking place and um I felt really helpless really unable to do anything you know and I was doing a little bit of campaigning with organizations like Oxfam and I think what what happened basically is that I ended up going into the world of environmental activism and I was inspired by a really great friend of mine a lady called Tamsin Omond and she um I picked up a newspaper one day and she had opened up the newspaper and found a quote from her. I just felt about Copenhagen and the climate summit and the terrible outcome that we had. And I just remember feeling, wow, this person speaks like me. She's the same age as me. She, she represents how I feel. And I don't, and I just basically made it my mission to become friends with her. And I entered the world of environmental activism. And from there, I think I read the 2009 UN report on, and about climate change mm-hmm. and animal agriculture. I straight away, I basically straight away stopped eating um eating meat and fish and uh, went vegetarian and that was kind of my, and then I was vegetarian for three years um and then my professionally I was working in digital communications I worked for charities um very much what a lot of what I do today basically but sort of marketing digital communications and being a writer but kind of my um I suppose over that time very heavily involved in climate activism two thousand and 10 to 2013 um and actually kind of as the group that I was in we kind of sort of all moved on to different things I am um, I started to become more and more interested in veganism and I had a good friend I have a good friend of mine James Proctor who's a vegan publisher in the UK and he kept bringing me around vegan cheeses and vegan mock meats and stuff and he's like dude it's time it's time you know I think you're ready and I was very resistant I remember being like oh I don't know I just I don't know it's one step too far and it, I said t- what was the the turning the catalyst for the veganism was that I am um, I went on a short holiday to Berlin I'd never been to Berlin and I was um intrigued by it and I just I've been working really hard and I said I needed just a weekend away and I booked I booked some like four days away in Berlin I didn't know anyone there but I, I set off um and I, met, I decided to make some friends on couch surfing the, yeah. the website and um I met up with this uh, this girl Diana, and um, she, her and her friends were vegetarians and vegans. They were all into punk rock, and we went to loads of gigs and just generally hung out and had this really great time. And they took me to all the vegan like fast food joints in, in Friedrichstein, and um, I was like, "This is so easy." And I remember sitting there saying, 
if I was in London, I'd be vegan. And she was like, you could do it in London. I was like, yeah, I could, basically. And I, I, I came home that, that Monday and I was vegan ever since. And that was, uh, I think, early June, late May 2013. So we're over three years now. All so right. uh, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing journey and so, yeah. but <laughs> brawling couch surfing and and punk rock that 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 was basically the tipping point. <laughs> basically, yeah. Well, every time I go to Berlin now, I've been three time, two more times since, and um, I feel very nostalgic about that that journey. You know, punk rock and veganism they go hand in hand anyway. So <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's spreading out. There's there's also rap stars now who who are vegan. You know, all all sorts of music. But yeah, I, I do think that. There is something about punk punk rock that just kind of resonates with with a certain part of of the movement, definitely. So, but I think it's very punk rock's very political. It's, yeah, it's always political, that, and I think veganism is a political political thing too, really. So, uh, but um, was was there any intent back then of making this uh, a part of your career? Uh, no, I don't think there was really, but, um, I was very much steeped in working with environmental organizations. That was kind of the most, the biggest client base for the work that I was doing. Um, and sort of charities and NGOs were kind of my client base. So at that point, I, I didn't really know enough about veganism to, to work, work on projects. I didn't think anyway. And, um, I guess I'm really all or nothing. I wear my heart on the sleeve and I'm really passionate about the things that I decide to pursue in life. So as soon as I started to see veganism, I, I did the standard thing that most people do. I became totally obsessed, totally like all my friends, you have to go vegan. It's amazing. You have to do it. You know, 20 Facebook posts a day about veganism, all that stuff, which I think a lot of people go through. And then I, it kind of came about by chance that I got my first vegan client and it was the campaign veganuary mm-hmm. um which you may have heard of it's the try vegan for january month. Yeah, yeah, yeah and um the founder matthew glover um he got in touch via a friend of mine dan who works at peter and um was looking for something to do social media and communications for the first campaign so this was the january 2014 veganuary campaign so it's the first year they ran it and um me and my friend james who I mentioned before you helped me um, make that transition to veganism. We worked together on sort of doing all the social media and sort of the digital communications for that first um, campaign. And so that was my first um, vegan client. And it went great, you know. The first veganery was a real success and it's enabled them to go on and build this great company that they're building at the moment that, you know, is helping so many people go vegan. Um, so it kind of came about by accident that I got my first vegan client and I, it went so well that I was like, okay, well, I could I could work with more vegan businesses. So that became part of like my consideration that we were gonna we were gonna work with other with vegan businesses. And I think at the time I hadn't really even conceived that I was a vegan business. You know, every all my decisions that I was making as um as a business were through the vegan lens. You know, and I think that was kind of um eye-opening moment that campaign was great and it kind of it excited me a bit about that potential to do something I love and sort of make a living doing it so um yeah that's where it started in terms of the 
the career aspects yeah and and that was before you had your your agency or had you already started it at, at that point and by the way the the growing box the name i love it it's just you know it evokes this image of something <laughs> organic something that can be planted and and will grow and bloom and produce but at the same time it's just like an image of things that are growing outside of the figurative box so yeah i, I really love the name but so, sorry to go off here um well, did you start I, it back then or how did that happen well i've had i've been working for myself um since january 2012 and i've had a digital communications agency since may 2012 so it it's kind of a evolution of the previous agency i had called people like you and i think i i felt that after kind of going vegan that it was a it was a new birth for the business as well and i felt that the growing box encompassed like me my personal evolution growing as a person mm-hmm. and that fact that judy was joining the team and i'm working with robbie more closely so it felt like that didn't that felt like yesteryear's <laughs> band as it were and you know I, I felt that we needed a fresh look and the growing box was kind of um the the name that kind of stuck with me i think it's um yeah i, I like the name as well actually it's, it's just it's, we all grow throughout life and we evolve and i feel like this this business definitely um Will grow and evolve as well so yeah that's how, that's how it kind of came to me but i long um short answer to the question yeah i had a digital communications agency which was similar i think we focus now um with the growing box on content creation a little bit more rather and ideation of campaigns and ideas whereas before we did we focused more on delivery the marketing aspect so it's kind of evolution of my skills and um the team expanding a little bit so um, I feel like we're sort of focusing more on the, con- the sort of video content creation and sort of campaign ideation and strategy, whereas opposed to just doing like social media campaigns with people. Mm-hmm. So we we do a lot. We do everything, basically. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, speaking of the team, um, you mentioned your partner, Judy, and Robbie. So is is that your core team? And is is that the three of you? doing everything or do do you have other people who who work with you occasionally so me and judy are the core team mm-hmm. um and robbie is kind of a collaborator who comes in we obviously made swine together which was um, a film that released uh, earlier this year and so yeah me and judy we, we both have um judy has a more of an events arts background and i have um a sort of digital marketing pr background so and writing background so between us, we can cover most kind of services. We work with um, my friend Nick. We recently made the crowdfunding video for One Planet Pizza for Mike, who's mm-hmm. been on your podcast yeah. as well. Um, so I have a, a few people who I trust and that I work with on different projects. But the core team of me and Judy and, and Robbie sort of is the, the third person we, we use quite a lot um, on projects as well. He's he's super talented and really um he's a great person to have like a, a sort of a satellite member of our team because he can do so many different things. Yeah. So just getting people with different skills, different talents and deploying them where, where they need it. And you, you yeah. And, yourself, and just people with passion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yourself, I mean, I've, I've heard you describe yourself as a storyteller. So and mm. in what way exactly? 
Well, I've just always enjoyed talking to people. Really, <laughs> I think that's the the crux of it. And I've always just been totally. I love I love you know having a group of friends and holding call. And I think that just kind of has seeped into my work, you know. And um, I've I've got aspirations to write novels, and I've worked with so many organisations over the years. But I've sort of like like I felt really passionately about how they should shape their story. I'm not someone who's can be brought in to work on a project who will just kind of like say okay well keep doing what you're doing even if that's not getting the results you desire very much um passionate about helping people craft things that represent how they truly feel and you know sometimes <laughs> that can be difficult for clients to hear because they um very wedded to what they do and what they've done for years and which may have brought them a, a degree of success but i think it's really important that organizations evolve in the way they communicate and i feel like my duty is sort of a communications professional is to like help them do that so i'm very um i, I think in everything i do with the films the films i make you know swine was a story you know, it was a story about antibiotic resistance and um the the dangers that that brings you know writing that script was um was a, a little journey in itself and I, I can't wait to do more films actually that's really where i see my my sort of focus in terms of storytelling going over the next decade at least so yeah, that um, film that, that you did for Viva Swine, how was it creating that? Was that your first longer yeah, feature? Yeah, that, that was the first, yeah. what I'd call, short professional film that I put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done some little films on YouTube that were kind of Adam Curtis-style mashups using different clips to create a narrative. Um, and I've been a writer, you know, I've written for The Guardian, Huffington Post, and I, I've written a lot of blogs over the years just on things that I've been passionate about or whatever ever time or things that have piqued my interest so um swine came about because Juliette Gillette from Viva came to me and so I said well I'm launching this new agency the growing box I'm working with Robbie and Judy and um I've got some ideas for Viva and I think you're an organization I support and we should work together so we met up and sort of discussed what Viva were looking to achieve which was you know to reach a new generation of people who they hadn't really been talking to as much as they would like to younger people and um, do that through social media. And so I I um, went away with Robbie and we kind of like put together some ideas and the one that sort of stuck with us and we got really excited about was a, the idea of a film about antibiotic resistance because, you know, as you can see this year, the World, World Health Organization have really gone big on um, promoting awareness about the rise of antibiotic resistance. And we I had a personal... Um, interest in it because my granddad died of MRSA in 2003 uh -huh. so it's something that was on my radar personally and so it, we just started talking about antibiotic resistance and kind of how antibiotics were used in factory farming especially and we just realized that it was just a scandal absolute scandal how you know <laughs> these animals are being pumped full of drugs to and under the guise of disease prevention, but, you know, it's to promote growth as well and help these animals grow unnaturally in their lifespan so that there's more meat for people to consume. So we just felt that it was it was a film that needed to be made and we both felt very passionately about it. And we were really lucky that working with Juliet, Fever and Justin, that they gave us the free reign to go and really be creative about how we, we developed the narrative and obviously we had the fictional element in there at the start of the story and then the documentary side and they really supported us in such a great way in terms of you know 
advice as well with with the scripts and making sure that we were on point with everything but also they just gave us the creative freedom to to pull together this project and you know it was the first time me and Robbie had created something together so it came about very organically and we kind of you know there wasn't we weren't working in the same office you know we were working remotely part of the time Robbie was in South Africa part of the time I was in Spain France Germany um so we were working remotely it's very internationally made film <laughs> but um yeah it's was, it was amazing you know we had a, a screening in june um for 200 people we've got a standing ovation then the film came out um is it june came out in july sorry july <laughs> losing the months and um it's that we're really pleased with how people reacted to it obviously we'd like more than the kind of 50 odd thousand people who have seen it so far to watch the film but in the in the time span of a film it's still very young and it it's um getting a really strong reaction from people who watch it and lots of people we know have gone vegan or their partners have gone vegan or they've reduced their pretty much everyone who watches it reduces their meat consumption so yeah it's been a really brilliant it's been a brilliant journey so far and i feel very encouraged about um making films as a tool for social change over the next know a couple of decades for me i feel really like strongly passionate about that yeah you know for me watching swine i i actually felt like you you had even more to to tell like when i was watching it i i could see that you could actually take it into two standalone films and you could do one documentary on the topic of antibiotics absolutely but you could also do like documentary movie the the sort into a sort that the movie starts out because that story man that had me hanging for for the entire movie i was like okay so are we gonna find out more about what happened in the beginning and and if you could do that and create a sort of a narrative yeah. that, that would actually leave people wondering if maybe everything that they've seen is actually true I mean, I definitely love to see something like that done. I definitely, I definitely feel like that first narrative, the fictional narrative in the film. I wish we had more budget and more time, and you know, because there definitely is some like from from a storytelling perspective. I feel like I want to know more as well, mm-hmm. and we had to really be so brutal when it came to cutting together something that was going to like hold people's attention. And I and I really hope that I do get to make a feature film. Subject. Me and Robbie have had some discussions, and um, we've both been so crazily busy since since Swine came out, which is in July, with like Bevolution. And Robbie's been really busy with his involvement in Plant Based News as well. So we haven't really had a chance to sit down and say, okay, what's what's next for us as like a filmmaking team? But I definitely feel like a full there was definitely a feature film in there, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, um... <laughs> Speaking of pics, um, <laughs> have you seen I Animal, the the one that Tony Canal narrated? I have seen um I've seen the first um the Animal Quality I Animal, yeah. Uh, the the I Animal, the one that's actually done in three sixty VR style. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I went to the press launch. Uh, Animal Quality did for the first film. I know they've got. New one, which they showed at Bevolution, but I was too busy to watch um, um, the pig, the pig one. Yeah, it's amazing what they've done there with the free, 360 camera and the undercover work. And I just, um, 
yeah, I actually felt very, very emotional. It, it is watching uh, that the it, first time, and it's hard not to be. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it's really. I just, I put a video up actually of my reactions watching it, and um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. You know, seeing these things, and you really feel like you're there. You know, you're standing in that pen, and um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's a fa- it's going to be a fantastic tool for really helping people connect to the animal suffering. Yeah. And I'm, I think it's really pioneering what they're doing. And I'm, and uh, we had them at the evolution showing that because we, I just spoke to Tony who heads up the UK operation. I just said, I think you should be there because they are really doing some fantastic work, animal quality to really push the boundaries and do things that, you know, um, haven't been done in ve- vegan campaigning before. So I think, yeah, it's, I think it's fantastic. And as the technology improves, the potential for it is just going to um guess go through the roof yeah yeah i'm i have to say i'm really excited about all the potentials of 360 video or vr or however you want to call it but that's probably just my inner geek talking but i i also think that yeah this <laughs> i i animal it was it, it's brutal it, it is emotional because a part of you wants to look away and in that film you you actually you can look away you know, you can't. You, you can, but yeah. then another part of you just needs to watch and stand witness to, to everything that's happening. So um, I, I think that's a medium that has enormous potential for for creating stories that touch people on, on a much deeper level. But yeah, I think it has um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic potential. And um, I hope. I hope to look into making something using it in the future as well. Definitely something I'm interested in. Yeah. But um, just if we stay with storytelling for a while, there was another question that I really wanted to ask you since this is what you do and this is what, what's been your career for, for a while now. How do you see the evolution of storytelling when it comes to, to brands? If you look back to you know the 1950s, the Mad Men era to to present and to the millennial generation, how, how has storytelling involved in, in marketing? Well, I think yeah, it's a loaded question. I, I think as a society, we don't, yeah, I know, right. <laughs> um, I think as a society, we very much, we don't trust big brands. We don't trust big government. We don't trust big corporations. I feel like we are trusting the big institutions has evaporated and you can see that with the election of Trump with Brexit with um all the scandals that surrounded the banking sector and you know VW um, all the crises that have come and sort of how these big organizations and governments have been misleading us and you know the sort of failed neoliberalism capitalism projects over the past 40 years you know has led to distrust as us as individuals in big institutions and that extends to brands so what we do trust and what is in our nature trust is other human beings you know we connect very well with each other on a one-on-one level if if humans if humans have one talent above any it's the ability to communicate better than any other animal on the planet and that's the key to our success so you're seeing a lot of brands now shift their money into influencer marketing and that's going to be the next, that's the next big way that brands and businesses are going to be able to tell their stories through 
influencers. And that's why you see these, you see people, especially young people, investing so much time into building their influence online. You know, I've got friends who are um, online influencers and they're on it all the time on Instagram, you know, following people, commenting, you know, really growing their, their reach because they know that 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 that's going to be a, a pathway in their career to you know talk about something they're passionate about and you make make some money from it. So I think you're seeing a big shift now in terms of storytelling going into working with influencers and then developing narratives with the influencers for that brand. So say you're a cooking company, you find and you'll find a, a a vegan a vegan food chef, you know, and then working with them to develop recipes um, using your products. That's a example of how brands can really leverage the, the trust that influencers have for their audience and we see it at evolution people really hang off the words of some of these um social media influencers that we get involved in the festival they have incredible power and i think um businesses need to be switched on to that and find ways to work with these influencers to create unique customer experiences rather than just sort of thrust upon them a product and say can you post that out for us because that that doesn't have the same connection it's about collaboration with um with these influencers and there's definitely like um there's a role there you know as a sort of kingmaker almost um for organizations like ourselves to kind of like help find the influencers find the brands and match them together and kind of work out how they can collaborate and work so i feel that that's a big growth sector and you know and i feel i feel like just that going back to my original point that we trust individuals so much more now and that's why it's important that storytelling from brands is very much told from a personal experience that someone's had with that product or that that service because people trust us they don't trust the big the big coca-colas the nikes you know we we know their story they trust people and people are people so um i think that's where you, you'll see like the continuation of brands focusing on People stories and brands working with influencers are two two areas where storytelling is really kind of um, moving towards for brands. Well, okay, that that was a loaded question, but that was an even more loaded answer. So <laughs> thanks for that, man. That that was gold. <laughs> that was really good. Cool. And well, you you just mentioned Vivolution as well. So we can get into the events part of, of the talk. I, I mentioned it at the beginning. And sure. you, you started yeah. in 2015 with Vegan Futures. Was that it? Or, or did yeah. you do any other event before yeah. that? Um, that was my first, yeah, my first event, really. And I, I think um, I just, I felt that there needed to be some kind of community event because I know all these inspirational vegans in my everyday life. And I, I was like, oh, how does this person not know this person? And I, I just kind of felt, as a big fan of TED Talks, the the online educational talks, and thought, wouldn't it be cool to create something that's a bit like that, bring all these great people I know together in one one place? And that's kind of how Vegan Futures came about. And it was a smaller scale event than Feevolution. I kind of see it as a a test run for what Feevolution has kind of evolved into. We brought together over 200 people for kind of like short, inspiring talks. And there was just such a good community atmosphere on the day. And so many people felt inspired by what they heard. And they sort of gone away and created their own YouTube channels or businesses or 
lot of new friendships were formed and it felt like for me a real sort of catalyst for the London vegan community and in the year since so much stuff has popped up and changed and I, that was kind of vegan futures and I worked with someone else who I don't work with now but Judy who, my partner produced that event and so me and Judy sat down and said okay vegan futures is great but how can we make it bigger and better and even more more inspiring so that's how Vevolution came about and so Vevolution I would say to people it's actually an defense company but it's also a technology company so my focus is very much and Judy's focus is on building a video platform of free educational talks that are completely free to access because I understand that Vevolution not everyone can get a ticket not everyone can afford a ticket not everyone can get to London but the people there are inspiring. They have such an important message that needs to be heard across the world. So we're investing money at every talk to record the talks professionally so that we have this, um, I guess, uh, information library of free taxes talks that will be up on YouTube originally. And we're going to build a platform eventually that all these talks will sit on. And the idea being that it becomes kind of like the, t- the TED Talks for Veganism. That's, that's our, our aim you know, Ted have done a fantastic job. And I, I, th- I feel like it'd be great to have something that showcases vegan people because there's more of us who are, who are appearing all the time. And we've got great stories to tell. So the idea being that we don't just stand up there and say being vegan is great, which we, we know it well, is. We, we're we're we saying it about, all the time anyway. <laughs> we're saying it all the time. You know, we get up there and we talk about things that are really passionate to our being, whether that is... Um, health and fitness story, some might have it, whether it's a story of recovery, you know, and how someone has used food to help recover from illness, whether it's um, living with um, mental illnesses and how you overcome those, whatever people's story is and whatever they feel passionate about, if we we want to give those people a platform to stand up there and talk, you know, and a lot of it will focus on activism and how we grow the vegan movement, but a lot of it is about people's personal narrative and how do you how do you survive in this world? How do you kind of like live your life a passion and grow as a person? And that's really kind of the theme is like, how do we, how do we sort of overcome the obstacles that face us and live a life of passion and happiness and a vegan life? So that's kind of what people are talking about the evolution. This year's evolution was crazy, man. It was the biggest vegan conference style event in Europe ever. Um, and, you know, we had, we had 500 people there on the day. And it was just, I, I started crying at one point. And I wasn't sure if it was tears of, like, joy or tears of, like, despair. Because it was such a hard, hard event to put on the, the amount of work that went into it. And, uh, you know, to see to see so many people there. And, yeah, it was, a, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm really excited about the potential 2017. Yeah. So just in terms of numbers, you said that Vegan Futures had 200 people and then you more than doubled that with Vevolution yeah. to, to 500, which in yeah. itself, it's it's pretty great yeah. growth for just one year further down the road. And yeah. and the idea for it is, it's just absolutely brilliant. You know? Well, I think it's just, um, I feel, I just felt like it was something, you know, I, I read this book a while back called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And it talks about trusting your gut instincts when making important decisions. And I just had 
a gut instinct that this was the time to do this and that if I didn't do it like who would you know like I'm a good connector I know lots of people and I'm good at bringing people together so it just felt like a natural thing for me to do and, you know it, it, it's a massive task the I think we definitely underestimated how much more work um, and a festival for 500 people was compared to 200 people and you know we we really messed up on the goodie bags this year we <laughs> I don't know if you saw the pictures on, on our um I, I saw Instagram a few Instagram and stuff yeah. we had um we packed 500 goodie bags in our small little flat in London which due to not being able to get to the fest into the venue the day before um meant we had to do them at home and we we're super lucky we had all these great vegan brands giving us products we really had lots of products over 20 pounds worth of um vegan products in each goodie bag and uh, we're like this is great everyone's gonna love their goodie bags they're gonna get this over 20 pounds worth of vegan goodies it's fantastic we didn't consider what packing 500 goodie bags individually meant over 20 hours labor and then we had to move them between our different rooms because we couldn't fit both of us in a one room with all the stuff so we had to have like a little conveyor belt it was just it was physically and mentally one of the toughest things I've actually ever done um but you know everyone absolutely loved all the goodie bags they got as well and it's a really important part of our festival actually is that we want to we want to get these great vegan businesses involved but we don't want that to be the focus of the day we want the focus to be on the educational element so I think we had five stalls, stands at the whole festival. Most of those were kind of charities that we wanted to get involved, like Animal Quality and Fever and um, Sentience Politics. So we we basically take away that kind of distraction, give people a great goodie bag full of great vegan products and say, okay, now you can focus on the day and kind of the, the discussions that are going to be had throughout the day. So that's a really important part of what we're we're doing but yeah the scale of the scale of the festival was really something else and we took it to the next level this year in terms of production we we had professional um clip mic we, we had mics that you know yeah, yeah. were sort of not handheld mics we had um we built a set an actual set in terms of and we dressed the stage because it's a big stage and we made it look evolutionized you know with lots of lovely plants and have light boxes and all that kind of stuff and ladders and <laughs> we we really um we really worked hard on the production element to make sure that this was just the most professional and and also visually inspiring vegan conference that people have been to because these ideas are so important they're so important for the future of our planet we need to make sure that um we we create an atmosphere that is appealing and attractive so people give these ideas a chance you know we live in the world of attention deficit disorder if we need to make sure that things are visually attractive and you know um just so people start listening to them and give them a chance and then once they they get past that first barrier then we can we can hit them with the the ideas so a really important part of what we do is invest in making things really professional making things look great and i think i, th- I think people are going to see that when the video actually I finished finished and come out of the main stage talks because I feel um I feel like yeah so it's it's going to be a beautiful thing really good and, and it actually sounds like a massive undertaking so how how big was the team of people working on Vivolution this year 
Don't tell me it was just the two of you with with Robbie and some other people helping along. Yeah, it was just me and Judy. We basically um, worked seven days a week, uh, pretty much 24 hours a day. For the month running up to Evolution, we were working, you know, eight to to 12 pretty much every day, seven days a week. Um, I mean, eight eight in the morning to 12 at night. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we really really got very very full-on very very just a lot of work to undertake you know for two people all of that with like balancing other client work as well and it 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 was a massive undertaking so we had on the day we had a small production team we had um a stage manager and i had um sj and Vanessa's two friends who were basically helping me not fall apart because i was up hosting the festival on stage and you know it was um it was a very full-on experience to put on. And I, one message I would say to people is, like, don't underestimate how much work goes into a fence. It is a really hard way to make a living. But, you know, it's also massively fulfilling. So if you want to take it on, I'd say it's a great it's a great feeling, a great thing to do, but it's a, it's a large amount of work. It's not... Um, I definitely underestimated how much the the bigger venue and the, the, big, the higher production values would what that would mean for us in terms of the festival yeah. um yeah so me and, me and judy judy's fantastic you know she i'm very lucky that she has a background in offense production and she's a real pro you know ah. things that i'm not even thinking about like health and safety things and she's volunteer briefings she's like all over that and she re- we really complement each other very well as a team so i'm very lucky cool. yeah. so how did you feel when everything was done you know besides crying which i'm sure were tears of joy but i know it can be a bit of a rush were, yeah, <laughs> it, it can be a bit of a rush <laughs> when you're pulling everything together and making sure that it works and everything is happening on time i mean I've, I've never done an event before but we've put together like a six-week course where everything was not happening quite live but a lot of content was going on on the day that it was supposed to be published and you know once everything is done sometimes you just want to go sit somewhere and quietly fall apart but how did you personally deal with all that <laughs> um i well <laughs> straight after the um the festival we went to meet a bunch of our friends who have been at the festival and we walked in and there was about 30 odd people clapping and cheering as we came in. And that was just amazing. I honestly have never been so tired in my life, but it was just so sweet of everyone. And we felt just incredibly happy just because it was such an amazing experience to see 500 people come together, share ideas. And just, you know, at the end of the day, I had a queue of about 50 people went to hug me and tell me how amazing their day had been. And it's just it's unlike anything else, you know, I've ever done. And just, to, it made all that hard work worth it. And, you know, the, the days are, the day afterwards, I felt broken, completely, utterly broken. And actually pretty much the last two weeks, I felt <laughs> pretty tired and pretty, um, like, I, I guess physically very tired, but mentally completely awake and um, stimulated. And we've had so many interesting conversations already about, um, next year and we've we've already decided some really exciting plans um i think i could probably actually yeah i could probably tell you yeah what what like, are the plans uh, for next year i would love to know happens. this 
this is this is something I can. This is the first time we've actually talked about it publicly, so this is like an exclusive for you guys. I wasn't going to mention it, but I think it's okay to do it. We're um, basically going to be doing a series of events called Fevolution Bite Size. So they're going to be starting in February, and February, March, April, May. We're going to have four events. Um, they're going to be happening in London. They're going to be happening at the Trampery, which is where we did Vegan Futures. So we're going back to where it all began, um, and we're going to be doing these evening events. So we're going to have three or four speakers, slightly longer times. Again, all of it's going to be filmed professionally, so we can make it available for people free afterwards. But they're going to be thematic events. So I think we're going to have the first one's going to be on food in February, and we're going to get food-based entrepreneurs there and talk about maybe some chefs there as well. We need all this needs scheduling in terms of who we're going to um, program for these talks. And then we're going to have a um, health and well-being fitness um, one in March. And then we're going to have intersectionality. So how can we make veganism more of a diverse movement? And then I think we're going to have an activism one as well. So how can we like be more active in promoting veganism? So these are going to be more affordable events for people. They're going to be cheaper, so they're going to be lower ticket price, but they're going to be just even events after work for people in London or surrounding areas to come to. So that's one announcement we can make is that we're going to be launching Feevolution Biosize in February. But again, we're going to be doing a big, a big conference uh, in November 2017. Um, and there, there are some other other things, regional events that we're exploring, and some not just in the UK as well, but other parts of Europe. And we've had some really exciting conversations already. And I can't I can't say more than that at the moment about it because it's not definite. But there's a real good chance that there will be a big Feevolution event in Europe in 2017. Uh, well, UK is in Europe, but in <laughs> In proper well, Europe, <laughs> Central Europe. <laughs> all right. So, Vivolution. I don't feel like we're in Europe at the moment. Vivolution bite size. You you heard it first here on the Plant Based Entrepreneur Show. That's awesome. Thanks a lot for that, Damien. And uh, si since you mentioned, that's yeah, great. It's great to talk about it. Since you mentioned, um, you know, just ticket prices and all, is how do you finance these events? Is it just ticket sales, or do you have some sponsors on boards? Yeah, we a mixture of ticket sales and sponsorship. Um, it wouldn't be possible without the sponsors. Actually, we um the headline sponsor this year was Tideford Organics, who you know, a fantastic company who have recently actually gone completely vegan. They weren't a vegan company, but their um their CEO um watched Cowspiracy, and she was so inspired by um. Cowspiracy, she decided to change the whole company and make it vegan. So they're now a completely vegan company. So we're really, really happy to be working with them. And we're going to see them in a few weeks to talk about 2017 and continuing partnership with them. So we're really lucky. We have other fantastic sponsors. We had Oatly on board this year, we had um, a new vegan online retailer called Planet Kind. We also had One Planet Pizza, Mike from One Planet mm -hmm. Pizza, who was on the show. And, um, and Fever and Animal Aid sponsored us this year. So it's, it's, it's very much funded both through sponsorship and ticket sales. That's why we put so much into the goodie bags, you know, because to do something in London at a venue like we used, which is a sort of top-end um, music venue, really, primarily, it's, it's to get something that looks that nice, it costs money, you know, in London, it's crazy. The prices, so we have to charge 
quite a lot for the ticket. But, you know, we're investing that money in building free online video content for people who can't afford it. And we're also, you know, building these massive, great goodie bags for people to take away so that they feel like, you know, you ca- if you come to Bevolution, you don't spend much at the festival. You might you have to buy your lunch, but you get free breakfast, you get massive goodie bags to take away. So actually, it works out cheaper than going to some other vegan festivals where it's basically, it's primarily based around consumerism and buying products. We don't really have that on offer. We have them. Um, we have a few things people can buy, but it's the focus on education. So we, it's a bigger upfront upfront investment, but people get a lot in return. Yeah. How much Not are we just talking the education here? And, yeah. well, like, what so the, ticket the tickets price? were twenty five pounds. Yeah, twenty five pounds for early bird and up to thirty five pounds for the sort of later tickets. Um, so I think ticket prices will say roughly the same for next year. I think we might maybe we'll look at more of a flat. A flat fee rather than doing the tiered tickets so i ideally i would love it that we had so many sponsors that we could bring the ticket prices down but we have to see how that goes you know and i think everyone who came this year has said it was fantastic value and we had an amazing time and we've had so, i've had so many messages personally thanking me for it and just people raving about it so i feel like everyone who's came to vegan futures before and feevolution have gone away saying that wow that was amazing and i've really got my value for money so i guess it's just hard though when you're doing something that's like breaking the norms of how vegan festivals work you're going to get a bit of backlash we definitely had that you know a lot of people send us like hate messages basically because we're charging a higher ticket price and other yeah straight up like <laughs> unbelievable stuff because People don't realise the time and the um, the money that goes into producing something like this, and you know because it's different. We we are investing in professional production. We are using expensive venues. We are, you know, putting a lot of time into really making this the best event we can. But people don't see that. They just see that thirty five pounds for a ticket. And they don't realise they're getting a goodie bag of twenty pounds worth of stuff and really like professionally produced um, conference. So yeah, it's, it's it's actually been very tough. The as for most of it's love, you know, a lot of love from the community, but there's also been a small element of people who wanted to attack you for um, basically doing doing something you care about and you're really passionate about, but you know, what pays you a little bit of money to be able to do it, you know, it's just the way it is. And I think um, hopefully the the proof is in the pudding, as they say that. Feetvolution has been a brilliant event, and I think that it will be easier from now to demonstrate how great it is because we have we have the content, you know, we have the videos, we have the the photos and stuff to show people what we're bringing together. Are are the talks online yet? The the ones from this year? No, and <laughs> not they're being edited as we speak at the moment. We've been working with these guys in Tiety Labs, who are um, a production company. And um, they're being edited as we speak. So they'll be online soon. Within the next couple of weeks, they'll be all all the main stage talks will be available for free to watch. Awesome. So I'm excited about that. I'll, I'll be sure to because, like, you know, on the day I was those. running around so crazy. Yeah, that, that that'd be that'd cool be great, to have yeah. in, in um, the show notes you know as well when when, they, when they're up. up. Absolutely, cool. And you know, it's yeah. it's sure. interesting that you mentioned. Um, cowspiracy before because earlier when you were talking about your own transition to veganism and going into it from the 
environmental standpoint, I think for 2009 when the, the study came out and then it it just wasn't as common as it is now. Because I, I think Cowspiracy right. just started the snowball rolling. That's definitely that movie is still making yeah. waves and they're not getting any smaller. But for you to, you know, back in 2009, actually get all that information and and make the connections, that's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool one. I, I really, I feel, you know, I was part of, I was very lucky. I moved to London around that time and in London there's you're very you have the ability to find your tribe I would say and you know I was able to find people like my friend Hamzin who really cared about climate change and felt very scared about what was happening to the planet like I did I felt so scared about it and I used to be really distraught a lot of the time and I still am but I deal with it better these days and then I I was just like this is serious geeking out I was reading like the 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 IPCC um, reports on climate change and going through it you know line by line so this is like serious like geek research that kind of you know 16% I think was the figure that was in that report of um, emissions from animal agriculture and uh, the guys at Cowspiracy, Kip and Keegan you know that film you know, say it's got the snowball rolling so many people I know vegan because of Cowspiracy or it's a very significant contributing factor and I think they, that's why, for me, seeing the impacts of that film really kind of inspired me to want to do Swine. And I definitely see them as big inspirations for me in terms of um, as filmmakers, you know, because that film, you know, it, it really highlights the lack of um, the lack of interest from the green NGOs in talking about animal agriculture. And, you know, actually, I'm, um, I'm doing a talk in January at Vegan, Vegan Life Live. Vegan Life are a magazine here in the UK, Vegan Magazine. Yep. And they're having a big, um, like, FedgeFest kind of thing. Um, and they've, they've got some talks happening. And I'm giving a talk, actually, about um, climate change and veganism and how we can make climate change more... Um, sorry, make climate change? Veganism, we can make veganism more part of the climate change narrative. How can we tackle climate change through veganism? And Adam, I've done a lot of work within these kind of organizations, you know, green NGOs, and it's just not on the radar. And it, it's not, it's something they're scared of as well, because it's something they don't, they haven't taken the time to truly understand. You know, I feel like it's got a really important part to play in um, reducing global, global greenhouse gases. And I think, obviously, with the election of Trump, we're going to see a yeah. real withdrawal from the US in terms of their commitments to tackling climate change. And Actually, sadly, it means that the burden is going to have to fall more on us, the people, to start changing things because we're going to see very little government intervention. Obviously, in UK Brexit, we're we're sort of withdrawing from being an internationalist uh, country as well. I feel so. I feel that veganism's got a very important part to play, and I feel in ten years' time, all the big all the big green NGOs will be talking about veganism. They just, they kind of haven't reconciled it with themselves yet. Because, you know, a lot, most of their membership base are people who probably eat meat. And they're also organizations that are born out of the conservation movement. And people forget that, actually. These organizations are quite conservative in a lot of ways. 
maybe with the exception of Greenpeace, they are born out of you know protecting the the polar bears, saving the whales, you know, not chopping down the rainforest. The whole thing is about conservation, keeping things how they are. Veganism is changing how things are. It's a revolution of food and it's a revolution of consciousness. So it's 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 challenging the whole narrative that these organizations are built upon because so it's, it's really about changing things and you know if you look at the successes that the climate um change campaigners have had over the past decade it's been because they all joined together and they very much focused on one topic that, which was fossil fuels coal tar sands keep them in the ground you know and that was very much the message stop burning dirty fossil fuels and in all like in order for veganism to have a cut through in terms of being um, something that people start doing who are concerned about climate change, you need, you need um, all these organisations to come together and make a commitment to really pushing veganism as a pathway to tackle climate change. And there's something in this argument that I've heard thrown up against it before. So Naomi Klein, do you know her? She's the yeah, person yeah. who wrote um, This Changes and not shock doctrine which is the most influential book i've ever read in my life um she she was asked this question at the uh paris climate summit last year sort of um a talk the day before the the paris agreement was announced and about why don't we go vegan isn't veganism part of the narrative on tackling climate change and she said well no because you know people who live in native Indians who live in first right Indians who are in Canada, who, you know, are really on the front line of tar sands and climate change, that in their culture, hunting is a massive part of their culture. And that, you know, these people are part of like struggle against climate change. So they're just not going to go vegan. So therefore we shouldn't go vegan was kind of the logic. It was like, wow, like, you know, we're really privileged to be like living in the world where it's really easy to go vegan, people like myself, we have no excuse not for going, not for being vegan. You know, it's it's never been easier. You know, and we, and their kind of excuse was like because some people who are in the struggle against climate change probably don't have have easy access to to go vegan. We shouldn't do it as well. And it's really that's the kind of argument we're going to face. You know, um, about about First Nations people and kind kind of that there hunting and is in their culture so we can't tell them to go vegan that's just kind of backward logic we're going to face in trying to push veganism as something to help tackle climate change yeah so we'll see how that goes it kind of <laughs> falls short but i know i've encountered it before in in other forms and it's definitely working on the emotional level and on just you know making an ideal picture of how things were or how things are when everyone was just yeah. in that hunter-gatherer society with an emphasis on hunter. But it doesn't yeah, work that that's, way. That's, that's, that's the sort of conservation, conservative log logic we've got to challenge. Um, and it's, I think we've got a great chance of doing that. It's just going to need a lot of people who have been part of the movement, like myself, um, quite actively over the past 10 years, to come out and really call these organizations out and people like you know kip anderson and keegan what they're doing more of that stuff we need more films we need more of a focus on it and we need more brave journalism as well from i feel like there's a there's a tendency to kind of not attack our idols in a way 
you know, because these organisations have great victories in um, reducing fossil fuel, um, well, not, well, increasing the imperative to basically cut down on fossil fuel use. They've really done great work. And so I feel like as journalists, as um, communicators, we're sometimes afraid of coming out and criticising these organisations. But I feel like it, it needs to happen. And I've kind of made the a decision that I'm going to speak very forthrightly about it. From now on, I had an experience earlier this year where I try, I, I won't name the organisation, but I tried to put Meet Free Mondays on on the agenda as something that should be one of the pathways to tackling climate change in their strategy. And it just, it just isn't even on the radar, you know. So we've got a big struggle ahead of us, but I feel like we've got truth on our side, we've got science on our side, we've got, we've got the compassion argument on our side. So it's an exciting time. And I'll just take this one into the usual question about the, the future. Where do you see yourself in the next mm. five years with everything that's happening? Oh my God, God knows. <laughs> really. <laughs> I think um, I definitely see myself making more films and I really hope to kind of see those get to a wider audience. So I guess I would like to have a cinematic release of some sort of a documentary in the next five years. That would be a, a goal of mine. Um, with Fevolution, I think the, the sky's the limit, you know, in terms of how how big it can grow and how how many people we can help inspire. Because, I, you know, already off the back of Fevolution 2016, we've had so many interesting conversations. And um, like I was mentioning, there's so many opportunities opening up. So I really see that growing to be the, uh, I, my hope is the, the premier kind of video education platform um, for vegan talks. That's the goal for it. And I, I hope that there's um, events around the world. And I hope that the platform really is a, a free to access go to point. If you want to learn about inspiring vegan people, learn their stories, that's where you go. So um, that's my goal for Fevolution, Judy's goal for Fevolution. We really want to grow that that business to be something that is you know a really solid um great events company but also a technology company that's building this great platform so i'm really excited about next year and sort of how we're going to build on it and that's that's super exciting in terms of growing box it's i guess um i've got so many ideas and something we haven't kind of come on to, to yet i feel like there's so many new vegan so many people who are launching vegan products, I really hope that in the future we can, from the creative agency side, work with more vegan brands and more um, vegan charities who want to tell their story. So for me, I'm, I'm going to be wearing lots of hats over the next few years. And I think there will come a time probably in the not too distant future where we need to kind of grow our team and you know let, control, let go of the control of, of everything because we're at the moment very small the growth in veganism is generally there. We want that to be our focus, you know, spreading a social justice movement that we're so passionate about. So um, I guess a lot of growth is going to happen. And I guess for me, kind of being more on the strategic filmmaking side and kind of strategy with the growth, um, with Fevolution is going to, it's going to be a big role in the next, next few years. It's exciting, man. It's really exciting. It, it is. <laughs> uh, I totally agree, both on, on the personal level and on the level of what's happening right now in, in the 
whole plant-based sector it it is a super exciting time to be in it totally agree now two more personal (laughs) questions for you before we wrap this up with everything that you have going on where do you find your drive and, and your inspiration you know what? I, I feel like I'm I'm wired this way. You know, I'm wired to get up. I want to like change things. I'm restless. I've always been restless. You know, I always want to make things better. I always hold myself to a really high standard. You know, that means like sometimes I give myself a hard time too. But I just I just feel like I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky to be alive, to be a white male, to be you know like living in England in like a fairly rich affluent country. I feel like it's my duty to help people and the animals. You know, 46 billion animals a year were murdered for for food. I just feel like that, that just needs to change. And that's my drive, you know, to help those less fortunate, the animals suffering, and also the people around the world suffering. Because don't, people get it wrong, you know, eating animal products hurts human beings. It really hurts human beings. And it hurts us. We're animals as well. We're suffering so much, you know, by eating these products that are, you know, full of pain and suffering and, you know, are bad for our health. So I find inspiration, you know, to through those things to help animals, to help people. And then I'm just a little bit wired that way. I'm all I'm I recognise my privilege and I'm very um very focused on doing the best I can with the gifts that I have, you know, whatever they are and how limited they are, to do the best that I can do. And you know, if I if I if I died tomorrow, I think I would be happy that I've like made a positive contribution to this planet. I feel like that's, yeah, I feel happy with that. And I think as long as I, any point I can check in with myself and I feel like that, I'm doing good work. So. Well, I hope yeah. you don't because I, I really like, I'd really like to see what happens next year with Vivolution. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> cool. Now, <laughs> Me too. finally. I'm not planning on going anywhere. <laughs> if you had to give one piece of advice, just one piece of advice to either your younger self or to anyone considering doing something in the space that you are in, whether that's events or marketing, what would you tell them? I would say trust yourself, you know, because young people, we, when we're young, we doubt ourselves, you know, and we live in a world of comparison now, especially with social media. We're always comparing ourselves to other people and thinking that we should be doing what they are doing. And you know what? Fuck the trends. Don't be afraid to be your own person. And, you know, I'm not saying this is an easy road. You know, it's, it's a financially peri- um, dangerous road sometimes. You know, financially you have to take a lot of risks. And, you know, I would say that if you're passionate about something, go with it. Do it. You can make, when you realize the world is created, everything you see, every product you buy, everything you go to, every event, every gig, when you realize the that was created by someone just like you. You can do anything. Once you realize that, you can do it. And because that's that's the thing, we have the illusion that these are that products and these events and stuff are built by gods. They're built by people who aren't like us. We're not like them. We can't do that. That is a total illusion. You are a brilliant, magnificent human being. You can do it. That's what I would say to anyone thinking about doing offense marketing whatever they're passionate about, just believe in yourself and try doing it because you'll be astonished at what you can do if you put your mind to it. And just like be, just know that it doesn't happen overnight, you know. Like me and Judy, we work super hard and we're like, we're not finan- we're not rich, we're not like, you know, having this lavish lifestyle, but we're, work- we're working on something we're passionate about and that is, that is so rewarding. That is so rewarding. And I would just say that trust yourself, 
you know, be brave and just recognize that you can do it. You can create anything you want to. Well, thank you for that. That, that was really good. Cool. Damien, cool. now to wrap <laughs> this up. That, man. <laughs> what's the best way for people cool. to reach you, find out more about your work, your events and, and your services? Where can they go? Yeah, there's so many websites. There's a proliferation of websites they've got going on. Um, DamienClarkson.com is a good place to start. And there you can find out about Feevolution and about the growing box and some of my writing there as well. You can um, also find me on social media. I'm very active on Instagram, Damien Clarkson. YouTube, I've got a YouTube channel, Twitter, Damien Clarkson. And on Facebook, Damien Clarkson again. I'm, I'm number one Damien Clarkson if you Google it. So... <laughs> So just um yeah, DamienClarkson.com is a good place to start. And um yeah, if you've got any anyone listening to this has any questions or wants to get in touch with about the growing box, just come and um have a chat or Feevolution. We've got yes, like I said, so much happening. It'd be great to chat to anyone who's interested. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, cool man. Thanks so much for joining me today. It was really it was such a pleasure talking to you. And um I, I likewise, I, mate. It was great. I hope to see you live someday at at Vivolution. You're definitely getting a hug from me. Oh, mate, definitely. Big hugs. <laughs> cool. And um, maybe Mexico. Yeah, man. If you can make it over in January, that'd be great. All right, Jerry. Thanks so much. Thank you, Damien. Bye. Okay, so that was Damien Clarkson on episode 13 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. If you're in the UK, I think the Vivolution Bite Size and the main Vivolution event that he's putting on in 2017 is something you definitely want to check out. And if you can't make it, remember the links for the videos will be going up in the show notes as soon as they're available. So check them all out at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com slash show slash episode 013 for everything that was mentioned in this interview today. Another thing that I wanted to share, this episode of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show was actually the last one that was recorded in New Zealand because right now Maya and me are working from Playa del Carmen in Mexico, just like I told you at the beginning, and we're really enjoying the change of scenery. But the more important thing though is that all the equipment that I needed is now finally assembled, so there won't be any further interruptions in the podcast. I'll talk to you again next Wednesday, and until then... Be awesome, have fun, and remember, the future is plant-based.